I'm Jen Taylor Skinner. This is Wagatwe Wanjuki. And this is Black Women 2020, your one-stop shop for 2020 election coverage from the perspective of Black women. And this is our special post-debate analysis episode of the third Democratic primary debate. So I just want to point out that this debate happened at an HBCU. And to my knowledge, this is the first and only time this has ever happened. Am I am I wrong about that? I don't know. Did they say that? I don't think they said that. Is it? I don't think they've said that, but I this is a really special moment, right? This is a special moment because everybody is kind of thinking about us. They're thinking about Black women. So I think that they're having it at an HBCU is symbolic of where the party is kind of thinking. They they understand to some extent where their energy is. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it was a really good choice. Um, I just looked it up. So it says that Texas Southern is the only is only the second HBCU to hold such an honor. And it is the first in the state of Texas. So, yeah, I think this is a sign of the Democratic Party recognizing that, you know, they can't take black voters for granted the same way. You know, I think it's just like it's taking it more seriously. And and I love the way that they did bring up HBCUs a little bit, like in answering their questions in terms of like what they can contribute to Americans, which I really appreciate it. So, so here's my fear, though. So you're right, because we've talked about this in the past. Like it's a sign that they're not taking black women for granted. But I feel like and I felt like this for a while that 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 commitment to our needs is shallow and it will disappear as soon as someone like Trump is not a threat. Do you know what I mean? I, I, you know, I definitely feel like there has been a lot of shallow support and like a lot of shallow um, gestures, but I think things are a bit different this time around just because like the field is a lot more diverse. There's a lot more diverse there seems to be more diversity in staffers. Um, and so, you know, I think it's about looking at the full context. So like, yeah, you know, them just going to an HBCU alone would I think would be kind of like shallow pandering. But I do sense some more and like deeper engagement, even beyond just like what we see on ABC News. Like I, you know, I was seeing people tweet about um, like working families had a really good nuanced presidential discussion. Like I'm seeing on Twitter, a lot of the candidates like talking to grassroots folks. So I think that part of it is that through the lens of ABC, there's still like, you know, the lens of whiteness to deal with a bit just because it is corporate media. And it might just be me being really hopeful or naive, but it does feel like a deeper level of engagement than before because i you know because like the same stuff doesn't fly right like i feel like people wouldn't be able to say like the whole law and order stuff and let that fly like you know beta was even still able to like call out white supremacy and it didn't feel like in a way of just like hey i'm checking it off on a box like i feel like there are white candidates some of them right who are doing the work to kind of understand the moment that we're in here's my impression of the debate overall. So first of all, I thought that Biden was fighting like he always does in all these debates because everybody's battling him, right? So I thought Warren was kind of playing it safe because she's in a really good position. And I think Buttigieg and Sanders are kind of, I don't know, I felt like they were kind of thrown in the towel. Like Bernie didn't even clear his throat. <laughs> like just, just get some water, get a hose, oh you know, God. a lozenge. 
some ginger tea, anything. Like he just kept like <laughs> he did not care. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, does he need to clear his throat or is he just like hoarse? You know, and that's like how he sounds like I had no idea. I don't know if Warren played it safe, but it felt like she didn't get as much time. Yeah, I think there was some like mid debate analysis or talking about who was talking the most. And I think she wasn't talking very much. Mm-hmm. And if you'll remember, that's what happened to her during the first debate. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought it was just because she was overpowered by, you know, the men, you know, you know, being interrupted, you know, by I don't know. There's somebody who, in the first debate who was interrupting women like all the time. Oh, yeah. At first I thought it was that. But now I'm thinking like maybe. Maybe this is like a strategy, right? So I read it as something else. You know, when someone attacks you, you get more time and then there's the rebuttal. So I feel like just naturally, since she wasn't really in the crosshairs in the same way, the 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 debates and the rebuttals took up more space. So then there's less opportunity for her to like speak. Yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like she was given a smaller piece of the pie to work with just in terms of like how the debate is set up because of that. So, but here's the thing. I just don't think it's going to change her position in the race. So in that sense, it was good for her. Like, I just feel like people just, the people who really like Warren, just like her. Whether she'd had lots more time or less time, I don't think it's going to change. She Mm -hmm. doesn't really need to make a strong case or make a strong point on stage to get her voice heard. Yeah. At this juncture, at least. No, that's a good point. I think um, with some candidates, you can tell that they really are like, oh, my God, this is my moment. Like, I need this TV time because, like, I need to get up in the polls. But you don't get that. Or at least I'll say I didn't get that vibe from Warren when she spoke. Because like, even when she did speak the few times, like, she... She was calm, cool, and collected, and and, and I liked that, to be honest. Um, yeah, but see, you know, I think that works for her, but I don't think it worked for Buttigieg, and that's just my uh, opinion, right? Like, I, th- I think that he was calm, cool, and collected, too, and he always is, but it comes across, it comes across as, I don't know, do I want to use the word icy? I don't know. Huh. You know, it's... It's interesting because I have a similar kind of assessment of him. I don't know if I would use icy per se because it's more so not about his demeanor exactly, but sort of like, or maybe it's part of it. The way that he still talks about race and like racially related issues, like it's still like I feel like he intellectually gets it kind of sort of and knows how to talk about it in a way that's a little bit more advanced and a little bit more academic and and you know it's translated but it still feels like he doesn't totally really understand racial injustice and discrimination because like remember he had brought up um that you know just integrate people and they'll stop hating immigrants. I'm paraphrasing. That wasn't exactly the quote. And I was just like, oh, my God, Pete, that's such a white thing to say, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, but you know who does get it. So Castro gets race. He's he's a natural on that. Yeah. So is Beto. Like, where did that come from? I don't like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It's so shocking. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I don't. (laughs) Where did this come from? This is amazing. Like, I thought I was going to hate him forever. And then, okay, he's talking about race more. Like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Like, this is the least annoying a white man can be, a rich white man can be right now. And I'm totally okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it had something to do with that Vanity Fair cover and the truck, right? (laughs) Like... (laughs) 
That was so bad. And the, the truck and like, did he, was he chewing on like a straw? He might as well have been. He might as well have been, you know, and, and you know, carrying a, a basket of like apples. I don't know. But that was not the energy he brought to the debate stage tonight. I don't know. It's just something seems like genuine about it and like a very intentional. I'm a rich white guy and I'm going to use this privilege the best way that I can. Um, And I feel like he's been doing that pretty well. Right. Because he's a white dude who gets a lot of media coverage. Right. And white people are going to want to follow him. And he's used that to his advantage to highlight different important moments in, in black history right and so i i'm a fan like you know like i don't totally hate him <laughs> yeah i did not i didn't expect that either and i'm thinking you know like if some people just really wanted to vote for a, a white man in this race like if if beto got the nomination i would be okay like if you had asked me that three or four months ago i'd be like eh. but yeah. like now i'm thinking like oh huh <laughs> you know like he he could yeah I'd be okay with that you know I just want him to be in a race to like highlight black things and like gun control and then still drop out. <laughs> oh poor Beto! <laughs> I don't I I'm still no white men 2020 unless I gotta vote for them. Yeah, but okay, let's say that something happened and I don't know what could happen, but you could only have one. You've got Biden, you've got. Judge and you've got I don't, who else is in the race anyway so between those for me it would have to be Beto but Biden and Sanders are you know still at the top and you mm. know um, Warren is third but let's just say that we had to choose one of the men for me it would be Beto I guess mm. I like him in terms of highlighting different things but in terms of policy like policy wise i'm sorry bernie would help me out more than beto as much as it hurts for me to say that i would do it because like no student debt is kind of kind of a game changer for me so that's always gonna (laughs) sway me but i would i would be if i could get the way beto talks about race and like bernie sanders policy about student debt and (laughs) healthcare. I would be very, very happy. Well, what does Biden bring to the table for you? <laughs> Disdain. Yeah, so the last thing I'll have to say on the opening statement was Kamala Harris looking directly into the camera <laughs> and talking to Trump. She was the only person who did that, right? Yeah. And she played on this whole thing like, you know, she didn't use these words this time, but she used them in the past. But like, you know, you're a criminal. We're going to prosecute this case against you, right? And, you know, she didn't say those words this time, but she said it in the past and she kind of alluded to it tonight. And then she says, and then you can go back to watching Fox News. <laughs> that was, you know, I wonder because, you know, you know how like Harris hasn't been getting as much media coverage as yes. I think she would have if she was not a black woman. Um, I told you, did I not tell you? I told you like two months ago and I was yeah. like, I have this feeling. And then the data came out and I was right. So I just have to. Yeah. OK, I cut you off to tell you that. Oh, but no, I'm just saying. no, it's fine because I was because it was it was earlier and I was like, well, maybe because so many things are full up. And then I was like, OK, like I really don't like we really don't see anyone except the white people being 
uncovered. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a whole other issue. But um, so yeah, in terms of Kamala, like I think it felt like it was kind of strategic to try to get Trump to tweet at her. And so that she would get in the, in the media cycle that way. That's my hypothesis. It, it is still plays into the whole, like, she's a prosecutor. She would be tough on Trump. I think it was good. I think it was a good strategy. Yeah, that was a really smart move because what she did was she was like, and she did this actually strategically throughout the entire debate. Like, I'm not running against anybody on this debate stage, including Bernie Sanders, because A, I want to give him credit for, you know, what he's, mm-hmm. how he's moved us on Medicare for all. I thought that was a really smart choice. And then she was like, you know, I want to give, you know, Obama credit, you know, which is a nod to, to Biden, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm running. And she did this about maybe three or four times during the debate. She was like, you know, I'm running against Trump and I'm making the case that this is the Kamala that you would get on stage with Trump. Although the fatal flaw in that strategy is that Trump is not going to show up for any debates. But <laughs> you don't think he you don't think he will? No. I mean, he won't even he's trying to cancel the GOP primaries. Well, apparently that's been done before. And I wish I found the citation for that. I was listening to a podcast and apparently Republicans have done that before in terms of shutting down primaries. Um, But I hope so. You're right. Yeah. So, okay, so that's been done before. So this isn't an authoritarian move on his part, unless they're just all authoritarians. I mean, they might still be building on something that has happened before. But yeah, just just putting that out there. Hopefully he does. Uh, well, people have alluded to this before. Like I've heard this this claim or this suspicion before that he would not show up for a debate with you, a Democrat. You know what? I don't. I'm not sure. Just because he would look really bad, and he still cares about how he looks a little bit. Like I feel like it would just be too much for him for them to really gaslight us through. But that's just. A guess and probably hopeful thinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, so sorry. So what do you want to talk about in the debate? What stood out to you? Oh, yeah. No, let's talk about Yang a little bit. Just because yes. for me, it felt like his privilege was a lot more obvious this time around. The first tip was sort of like, I'm Asian. So that means I'm around a lot of doctors. And it's like, first of all, it's not because you're Asian. <laughs> It's because of your privilege. So, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So, that was a little weird because it's just sort of like, it feels like he really leans into the model minority thing. Right. And it's not my place to say, like, you can't say that, but it feels weird for him to say this for like a mostly white audience. And so, there was that. And also, did you see how people were questioning whether his uh, freedom dividend is legal? Is that the thing where he would give someone $120,000 to families like a sweepstakes? Well, he's no- <laughs> well, the headline is kind of misleading. Basically, he's giving 10 families $1,000 a month for a year to show his UBI plan. I mean, that's just questionable. So the thing is, is that and have we talked about this yet? So the thing is, is that it's gimmicky right i'm trying to think of another word mm-hmm. but there's no other word for it it's mm-hmm. gimmicky right N- number one and why i know yeah. that ubi universal basic income and we've talked about that before is actually a serious policy issue mm-hmm. but i feel like and, and we should have somebody on to talk about this yes the way that he deals with it is not from a serious policy perspective right like he this is a gimmick for him this is a game for him and that's you know i think that that 
I think if he's allowed to continue down this line unquestioned, down this road unquestioned about his UBI plan, Mm -hmm. that a serious candidate talking about it won't be taken seriously. And that's really bothersome, right? You know, maybe mm-hmm. we'll never revisit this again just because he screwed it up. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point. I don't think it will get to that point. Um, it, I can see how it could seem gimmicky because people seem pretty turned off by it and are like kind of confused. So I totally get that sentiment. And also I think part of the problem to me is that UBI is, it's revolutionary if it's like everyone has it. But if it was like, a whole community or something like that. Like, I think that'd be really cool because I really want to see like, what does it look like to communities when people have universal basic income? I know there've been pilots in other areas and I just, I worry a little bit just because I know that Silicon Valley has kind of gotten into a universal basic income, but not in a way of, oh, we want to help people's lives. Just sort of like, hmm, we're basically going to be creating this huge underclass and they won't be able to afford our services. So we should bring in universal basic income so they can keep buying our stuff. And so, yeah, I'm suspicious of his version. But if it introduces UBI to a new group of folks and it becomes more of a contender in the future, then, you know, maybe it'll be worth it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Black Women 2020 and you want to support greater representation in political coverage and in the media, please show the Black Women 2020 podcast some love. First off, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you're on iTunes right now, just click the subscribe button and leave us a review. That will help us get more traffic and more listeners. Secondly, you can help support the views of Black women by supporting us on Patreon. The Black Women 2020 podcast is independently produced, and anything you can give will help us. Just visit patreon.com slash bw2020podcast, and you can help support us with just a few dollars a month. And all of this information is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to Black Women 2020, and stay tuned for our next episode.